Critics are calling Angela Shonalek's I Was at Home But exquisitely cryptic and gorgeously immersive. A Cinema Guild release, I Was at Home But opens Friday, February 14th at Film at Lincoln Center with Shonalek in person for Q&As on Friday and Saturday. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rippold, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment. Last fall, I wrote about the movie Marriage Story, which joins a long tradition of marital dramas while adding its own fresh sense of candor. I wrote about it for last year's September-October issue and immediately thought, why not invite married couples on the podcast to talk about movies about marriage? So we did that, and we're calling the series Marriage Stories. The results have already been wonderfully illuminating, freely weaving together critical and personal experiences across a wide selection of movies. For this installment of Marriage Stories, I sat down with Chris Wisniewski, who wrote our essay on film education last fall, and film comment regular Michael Koreski. Let's go to our discussion and be sure to look out for more Marriage Stories on the Film Comment Podcast. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and this is our marriage podcast, uh, the story of marriage, marriage story being the um, jumping off point for it. And our brilliant idea is to have married couples here to talk about movies about marriage, movies they watch in the course of marriage, movies that somehow reflect on marriage or, and anything related to that. For uh, this edition, I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, Chris Wisniewski. I am a regular contributing writer to Reverse Shot, which is a publication edited, co-edited by my husband. Who is? Who is? <laughs> um, hi, everybody. <laughs> it's it's um, your old pal, Michael Caressi, <laughs> um, frequent film comment contributor. Um, I have a bi-weekly column and also contribute to the magazine regularly. Um, Chris, um, now I'm just going to be, I'm going to act like a husband, but you didn't mention that, that I've also, also contributed to film to comment. Film That's comments. true, yes. Um, in our, uh, was that September, October issue last year, yes. I believe? Um, yes, an essay about a film education, um, which I encourage people to look up. It's You can purchase it on our website. Um, and I always have to get a plug in for something at some point. So well, I'm um, being a proud husband and saying that that's a great piece. Everyone yes, should read that. I don't absolutely. think there's anything been written like it. I mean, we could start off with movie going habits in the, in the sense of how do movies, do you argue over movies? Do you watch certain movies separately or can you, are there some movies you cannot watch together? Um, that's, it's often a source of uh, joy and contention. <laughs> well, um, at the risk of making us sound like a couple in a Mike Lee movie that I want to talk about later, one thing that I have found to be interesting over the years is that Michael and I rarely disagree about movies. Mm. Huh. So when we see movies together, we talk about them immediately afterwards and usually at some length if they bear repeating or bear, sorry, usually at some length if they bear that discussion. Um, and rarely do we walk out of a movie with a strong dissonant reaction, even when I'm surprised by my reaction. So uh, to pick a random example, um, I don't think either of us walked into Arrival expecting to love mm. it. And I remember walking out of the Alamo Draft House and getting to the escalator and Michael turning to me and saying, so what did you think? And I said, 
I kind of loved it. And he said, so did I. <laughs> There's that relief. <laughs> That's right. You don't have to fight on the way home. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've had our dissonances over the years, mm -hmm. frictions. You know, I've always had a more pro problematic relationship to Steven Spielberg than Michael. Mm. Um, but um, those debates have borne great fruit, I think, for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, but rarely is there just complete disagreement. Mm. Um, though, because I wake up very early in the morning, he sees a lot more movies than I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, this makes me wonder about those um, the the way you know the way that a couple comes together, the way there are slight dissonances, perhaps. But is that natural that we just happen to have the same taste or is this we've been together for 15 years uh -huh. i should say we've been married for eight together for 15 um because we got married soon after you know gay marriage became legal um but i wonder if our tastes have converged a little Ooh. bit more because of the length of time we've been together i do wonder that sometimes because i am always surprised how often we agree about things and 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 i'm i'm sometimes kind of horrified by the thought that we might disagree yeah. and i think that's a kind of a factor of marriage right yeah hmm. i but i would also speculate that our relationship is based on a sense of shared value and we both take hmm. aesthetics and the um the values behind aesthetics very seriously as reflections of, uh, you know, our sort of way of seeing and, and feeling in the world. And so part of the reason I think that we ended up together is that there is a natural uh, similarity between our tastes. I can guarantee you that um, in our first date at Soda Bar, if one of the two of us had expressed <laughs> anything less than complete over the moon enthusiasm for Before Sunset, there would not have been a second date. I think that's true. Well, okay, so we talked about Before Sunset on our first date and the discovery that we both had made top tens for 2004, because this was in February of 2005, and that we both had put Before Sunset at the top of oh, that wow. list, um, This and which has become a very significant film for our, a significant trilogy for our uh, relationship. But I do think that that was a very telling moment, as was our mutual love of Vera Drake, Oh yeah. Oh. If we, I think that the, I think the, the kind of the connection on the Mike Lee front was also was also important. Yeah, and I mean, I, I can't m imagine many relationships enduring and surviving a second date to film forum to see Los Olvidados. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. It's, it's the least <laughs> romantic thing that you could possibly do with someone. Okay, Who, whose whose idea was that? Might have been mine. <laughs> I don't know whose idea it was. We we agreed on it, but I do know that it was a terrible second date, and it was it was followed up. We had a great first date in which we talked about before sunset, and then our second date was Los Olvidados at Film Forum. Which Very is a good film. Great movie. Yeah. Just Luis Buñuel, nineteen fifty, extremely grim. Yep. Extremely upsetting, and mm -hmm. afterwards, um, pizza. I, <laughs> just drown the sorrows in pizza. Well, then I got sick on the subway. <laughs> yeah, you did. As oh, I stood no. over him, and I actually so I was turning green, and I couldn't tell if it was the movie or the pizza that okay. did it. It was probably both. <laughs> it might have just been my nauseating presence. I actually do want to say you're forgetting about one pretty large movie disagreement we had in the very Ooh. first year. That was also 2004 film, Dogville. Oh yes, Ooh. that is correct. Because I always knew that that was a terrible movie. <laughs> I'm and a Michael, Dogville fan. And, and it took you some time to, to realize how problematic it was. No, no, no. You're th I think you're thinking of something else. Dogville, I'm still, I'm still quite a fan of. I'm not a fan of Lars von Trier as a rule now, but I've actually maintained my 
admiration of Dogville <laughs> as much as I understand more now why people hate it so much. I think we might have been in the same New York Film Festival audience before knowing each other, right? Because, because was it an Alice oh, Tully wow. when people started kind of screaming at the, at oh, the, at the screen? No, the no, no. I didn't. I did not see it at the festival. Oh. I saw it in Chelsea with some friends who all hated it with me. <laughs> What can you say? But but you worked through it. <laughs> Maybe this might so, be the end. <laughs> this is the. I shouldn't have brought this. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have like reality show kind of. How did your marriage here. end? Well, he reminded me that he liked dog film, <laughs> and unfortunately, it was all recorded. You can listen to it on the Film Comment podcast. I think it's an extremely impressive movie. Many of our friends hate it as well. I still love it. Well, I still like it. However, I do want to say one more thing uh, to go back to your original question, Nick. Is that? Oh yeah. One of the big divergences we have now in watching films is that, and you were um, insinuating a bit because you because of your work schedule, Chris, is that because I stay up later, mm-hmm. I tend to watch things after he's gone to bed, and oh, yeah. and inordinately those turn out to be horror movies because oh. Chris doesn't really like the horror genre as a rule. There are major exceptions, maybe one that we'll mm-hmm. talk about today, but he doesn't like horror films, so that's like an that's an that's an okay. obvious time for me to kind of cram my my viewing in. Yeah, right. weeknight viewing for me tends to be under two hours and in some way fun to watch mm-hmm. yeah you, you don't want to I, I, I can handle i can handle difficult fare on the weekends but. <laughs> during the week just yeah whereas i just want to watch john dealman every night of the week <laughs> and so- sometimes you do <laughs> In, and then have yes, in, in solitary terror in the after hours. I get very scared when he's making meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I also I forgot to say that p- perhaps one occasion for talking about this this subject is having a movie that's actually called Marriage Story, mm-hmm. um, the Noah Baumbach film, um, and. I, I mean, we don't necessarily have to talk about it, but it is a movie that itself comes like built in with kind of rival perspectives and people have come come out of it with also different perspectives on it. One of them being that it, you know, kind of favors his viewpoint. Um, is that something that also happens when, when you see movies that you, you disagree about the viewpoint of the movie, if that makes sense? Um, I think that, we are fairly analytical and that we listen to each other. So Mm. we tend to unpack movies together. Um, Though one thing I will say is that Michael is quicker um, to be able to verbalize his um, thoughts about a movie than me. So sometimes I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm processing and he's talking and, I ask him to slow down and let me <laughs> let let me get to where I want to go, um, but um, I don't find that we have a lot of like disagreement or oh you really thought it was like that you know it's right. on her side it's on his side you know we saw Marriage Story I think the only thing that the only thing that I I remember us talking about afterwards was that I could not believe that you could watch it a second time <laughs> that was yeah that was, that, <laughs> because that was it was so painful I, I actually yeah. quite like the film um i think it's uh, a really lovely depiction of uh relationship and disillusion but um but yeah yeah i had seen as, as nick knows because i meant i had talked about it briefly on the yes. film comment podcast That's up true. in toronto i had seen it up in toronto and i had a very strong emotional reaction to it i was yes. having a lot of strong emotional reactions to movies that week anyway and that one kind of hit me um 
towards the end of the of that journey um and i was feeling i was just kind of generally feeling down that mm-hmm. week and i think mm-hmm. sometimes at film festivals i can feel sort of alienated and the toronto film festival is certainly one of those festivals because yeah. it's just so big and overbearing and um everywhere you turn something you, you'll run into someone you probably don't want to see <laughs> and i'm and i'm never there with you and because Chris is my, never because there of my me. work schedule, the the, mm-hmm. the line of work I'm in, it's not a time of year that I could ever go to a film festival if that was something that mm-hmm. I was interested in doing. So you're always there alone. I'm always there alone, and I was in a I was in a I was in a very remote Airbnb this year, and like oh. at like the 37th floor of one of those new cheaply made ta- you know oh, Airbnb. Boy towers mm-hmm. um, the audience really wants to hear this yeah no but i'm trying to <laughs> no, explain i'm trying to explain fortress of solitude that he retires to. i'm telling you it's a visual I, I mean it was very lonely up there and i was feeling emotionally dejected generally and i saw marriage story and i was overwhelmed by it i was very upset by it i think um i th- you know there's been a lot of online discourse since then and it's been in the awards conversation so also the conversation's gone all sorts of directions that i don't find particularly interesting um to tell you the truth but my <laughs> my experience of it was like that it was harrowing actually Dang. and so when it came out i said chris we gotta we gotta go see it <laughs> come see this harrowing movie with me you're gonna be traumatized <laughs> but there was great. the possibility you wouldn't like it I, I was a little i was a little nervous you wouldn't like because i didn't want to put myself through that and put you through that actually um mm-hmm. at you know in any kind of emotionally tender moment and have you resent me for taking you you know yeah. but it, it yeah it turned out to be um it was it was it was actually a, a very positive night i think seeing that movie there's a lot of ugliness and sadness to that movie, mm-hmm. and I think seeing that movie was was kind of um, empowering yeah. in, for us in a way. Yeah, that's true. It's mm. funny though. It's funny that you mentioned that because as you were saying that, it made me think like, when has Michael showed me things that I have that that have emotionally upset me? And the two that come to mind that I think are in some way relevant to this larger conversation um, were a ghost story right, right. and end of the uh, century. And um, the Argentinian film. Yes, the Argentinian gay film and of the century. And part of the reason for that, actually, um, and this is related to marriage story, is that they're movies that are about mortality in one sense and also the the ends of things um the the ways in which relationships have their limits whether they're ended by death or um or fate or um ennui or you know whatever it happens to be um or in the case of marriage story just a a, a slow realization that the relationship no longer functions as a relationship um, but, uh, I didn't have that response at marriage story. I did at those, hmm. at those other two movies. That's really interesting that you brought those up and I'm glad you did. I almost forgot about those two movies because that's a good example, Nick, of something that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting at or asking, oh, yeah. which is like, do you see things from different perspectives? Like we're, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking, oh, you know, we see things the same way. We don't see things the same way. Yeah. We're incredibly different people. We <laughs> respond to things in very different ways. The way you're talking about the way we talk about films after is kind of the way we fight. It's true. Um, mm. So you know, like with with, with yes. you needing more time to to think, I need and me time just kind and of space, like and verbal. Michael needs needs to <laughs> resolve that. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, which is you know, I think we've learned to deal with better over the years. It used to be more of a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you agree. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a few minutes to process it, and I'll come back to you. Um, 
but those movies that's really interesting because a ghost story mm-hmm. which is the you know the um, david lowry that I, I that i just kind of i just loved on a purely conceptual and visual level i yeah. just loved watching it and experiencing it i was moved by it i didn't think of it as this what you saw you saw that movie and you saw a very disturbing film about uh, mortality and kind of like and eternity through life and eternity which, yeah. which are things mm-hmm. that really bother you yes and then end of the century was the same thing which was the again it's this it's gr- this great gay argentinian film from last year by lucio castro and i've been talking it up and I, I i saw while he was away one weekend actually interesting you were you were you were back uh, visiting your your family in the midwest and i went to see it in the theater and i was so blown away by it and all i wanted to do was share it with you i was like you can't you have to see this movie and you admired it and you liked it and i you, you definitely think it's excellent. Did, yes. but your response was so unexpected for me well because it, it, it without giving too much away it it's about what seems like a casual encounter and becomes is revealed to be more than that um and it presents um multiple multiple visions for how this relationship between these two men could play out and both of them in their way are lonely and sad Mm -hmm. and i found there to be a desperation in that that um that resonated actually and maybe it's related to something else that we talk about a lot which is that there are not that many really quality movies about gay relationships there aren't that many quality movies about gay people and there are definitely not many quality movies about gay relationships so you know when that kind of representation is out there you know it it takes on outsized significance Mm -hmm. for us Mm -hmm. and for me i know personally and um and then for that that film to have a vision that felt so bleak even though it was beautiful um it it left me in a in a very uncomfortable place and i didn't necessarily Mm. see it as bleak I, and I right. and I see that kind of in retrospect, and I'm extremely moved by it. And not to take up too much time talking about it, but it is kind of a marriage movie in a way because of what is. happens in the last third. It's a movie in which right. that's kind of in three parts, and you think it's a movie that's like a before sun, sunrise type movie. A couple of people meet, or a we or weekend, the Andrew Hay film. A couple yeah. couple of guys meeting, they hook up, and they get to know each other, right? right. And then it becomes something else in the second act. We realize does a twist, and then in the third act, it becomes something really profound, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it becomes like. Of kind of this pocket-sized portrait of marriage, but also of um, um, like the pressures and anxieties of gay life, and particularly mm-hmm. queer relationships and queer marriage. And I haven't really seen there. And this is a good way of branching off and saying that there haven't really been movies about gay marriage yet. I think mm-hmm. Iris Sachs' Love Is Strange is one of the is one of the yeah, few that right. actually deals with a, like a long-term gay relationship, but it's mm-hmm. very few and far between. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, it's it's interesting also the the density of experience in that particular film, you know, and which almost seems something that's somewhat unique to movies is that you're kind of guaranteed with a book you might live with for a while, but in that particular movie, you're going to have whatever it is, two hours where you're going to have this enormous span of time from three of three very kind of disparate um, viewpoints and time periods, um, which I'm just bringing up because it seems significant in terms of the difficulties of portraying the experience of marriage. Mm. Right. Well, and, you know, another aspect of this that relates to a film that we definitely wanted to talk about today, because I think it's maybe 
the greatest American film about marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two sex scenes in the movie. Um, and mm-hmm. one of them takes place in the context of a casual encounter, and it's very sexy. And the other takes place in the context of a marriage, and there is a very sort of mundane and tedious quality to it it's like a thing to be done and that's even discussed in the film um and you know one of the things that we were thinking about uh, you know on our way over to the podcast was you know like how do movies deal with love and marriage how do movies deal with sex and marriage mm-hmm. and that is 100 percent at the heart of um the movie I wanted to bring up, which was Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And why don't you talk about it, Michael? Do I have to? <laughs> Take it away. Um, that was a big hand you just dealt me. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I mean, I, I like I, I have lots to say. I just I do, too. I mean, I, it's, it's a film that we, have, we actually have watched quite a few times together over the yeah. years. We revisit it every so often, and it changes every time we watch it because it changes the, long, the, the older you get and the more you're married or the more you're mm-hmm. in a relationship, the more you mm-hmm. don't have to be married to appreciate and admire that movie because it's so much about fidelity and the question of fidelity and the question of um you know what that means and what how a, how a marriage is either sustained or ruined by ideas around fidelity mm-hmm. um and then ha- by turning that into like a dreamscape i think mm-hmm. it actually gets at it much more um acutely than most other films about marriage which tend to be realist mm-hmm. right they tend to be kind of these realistic portrayals of of like it might like a marriage story as as the la- the latest right. example or some maybe some of those Mike Lee movies we're talking about but Eyes Wide Shut is definitely like an anti-realist dream movie about um, about two people who obviously care for one another in a deep way but are individuals with their own inner lives Mm -hmm. and their own thoughts and the fact that that what's fascinating about that film it's and truly a great film on every level is that it's just a thought that sends the character the Tom Cruise character off onto uh, into his like night journey right it's just the idea of the possibility of something having happened as opposed to something actually happening but it's more than a thought too because it's it's also i think a realization that you always know your spouse only partly and that someone can give you love and partnership but not necessarily give you all of themselves at the same time. So the, the you know the story in this incredible monologue that uh, Nicole Kidman delivers um, is that she was at this hotel with her family and she saw this sailor um, and was unbelievably overwhelmingly attracted to him. And she leaves a note for him. <laughs> and, you know, she knows that if he's around the next day, that um, she will, you know, commit adultery with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting about that monologue, in part, there are a lot of things that are interesting about that monologue. But in part, it's it's how she concludes by also telling Bill, her husband, that... At the same time, he was never dearer to her. Mm -hmm. And they had spent that whole time together talking about their future and their plans. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the nuance of that, the contrast between her, in a sense, being fully in the marriage and Mm -hmm. then also so willing to step outside of it because there's 
there's sex as as fantasy and exploration and discovery and then there's a marriage with a person mm-hmm. and those those two selves can exist within the same spouse mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. in in any given moment and uh, i think that's also part of what throws him into his tailspin also, I just wanted to mention, it's impossible to think about that monologue that Nicole Kidman gives without thinking about how it looks and mm. how that set is lit, yeah. how that, that you have that blue, that, that yeah. incredibly deep blue coming out of the shadowy bathroom mm-hmm. behind her, and you have like the warmth, the red, um, and kind of the warm tones Absolutely. in the room. And, you know, f- because we might not talk as much about cinematic properties in this conversation as we should i think it's it's worth noting that like that is in a perfect way that kubrick represented what you're talking about which is kind of like the polarities the inside and the outside the the the, the being with your spouse and being outside of, of of your spouse being with part of your like a part of that spouse is a part of you yes and that spouse is someone you'll never quite understand mm-hmm. there's right. just there's so many ways that he visually gets at that through the film yeah especially in like the artificiality of the way the whole thing looks right and that Mm -hmm. continues right so the the artificiality of london posing Mm -hmm. as new york which is actually in and of itself an interesting idea Mm -hmm. metaphorically like he's exploring new york streets and it's not new york city at all and it's a very stilted strange dreamlike space it's a Mm -hmm. kind of hostile environment to him and you know Kubrick cuts between that and these shots of Nicole Kidman in their apartment doing the quotidian things of domesticity, taking care of their daughter, tutoring her on her homework, getting her to brush her teeth, all, you know, like eating snack wells, eating snack wells, <laughs> whatever right. happened to snack wells. <laughs> right. And, uh, and you know, that tension exists. And I also think the tension exists in the way in which the camera looks at Kidman, right? Because, mm. Obviously, she is spectacularly beautiful. Kubrick knows that. Um, She's scantily clad throughout the film, you know, occasionally naked. Um, And the movie is kind of daring us to see her beauty and then to also see how that beauty can be boring to someone who's been married to her for a long time. You know, that, that... that scene very early on where they're getting ready to go to the party where um, she asks him how she looks and she's sitting on a toilet peeing, which is something (laughs) that married couples would do. Maybe, I don't know. I've heard. And, um, and he doesn't look at her, but says that she looks great. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in that moment, does she look great? No, she's on a toilet. But she does look great because she's Nicole Kidman. But he's not looking at her and he's not seeing her because right. on the one hand, he does he's married to her. He knows that she looks great. Right. And so the answer is both a lie, which she calls him on, and also completely genuine. Right. You know? That I, like and all of those contradictions are embedded throughout the movie. It's such a strange it's such a strange thing to watch because it, as, as you know, the word stilted has been applied to that movie since it came out. And now I'm using it like a third time or whatever, but as stilted as it is, 
when I watch it, it always feels like so true, like mm-hmm. so richly observed. Um, and I love that tension too, that something mm-hmm. can be like utterly weird and in no way corresponding to, to real human behavior and real environments that I'm familiar with. And yet captures the essence of how we like sort of work our way through monogamy and and marriage and domesticity and sex and all of that at the same time. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that it's actually completely unrelatable at the same time, right? It it it, it dares you in a way to um, relate to these very very privileged people because who are played by like who are played by huge stars. Stu- superstars yeah. and. Um, the privileges of that of his character specifically is so the point of eyes wide shut. Yeah. (laughs) His like blinkered privilege is so like, he does not see what he has. He, the, when he walks through that incredibly elaborate, obscene apartment with all the art on the walls, when he goes to that party, when he wanders the streets of New York, it's like, he's not looking at anything. He has Mm -hmm. complete tunnel vision. And I, I don't know what it is he's ultimately looking for, but the end of the movie has like a really good, has a great kind of punchline about what he is going to get. Well, right. <laughs> I mean, basically, he confesses. Oh, spoiler. I think it's. Okay I mean, at this it's point. been it's been twenty one years. years. <laughs> so uh, you know, he confesses this strange odyssey that he's been on, and you know, I, I use the word odyssey deliberately. I think that that's an explicit reference. And what is the odyssey mm-hmm. except uh, an epic about someone who just didn't want to go home to his wife. <laughs> like, took a really long time to do it. Um, and, you know, he finally um, confesses everything to Alice in a toy store um, in the run-up to Christmas. And Christmas is all about anticipation and the mm. thing that you're going to get that you want that you don't have. And, you know, she she hears him and she tells him that there's one thing that they need to do immediately. Mm-hmm. And the word that she uses is like very deliberately chosen. It's fuck, right? It's like mm. it's not make love. That's not what that couple needs to do. <laughs> they like they need to fuck. The Cinema Guild presents I Was at Home But, opening Friday, February fourteenth at Film at Lincoln Center, with director Angela Shonalek in person for Q and A's at select screenings. Winner of the Silver Bear for Best Director, I Was at Home But is an exquisitely cryptic domestic drama that grapples with fundamental questions of existence. Writing an art forum, Nick Pinkerton called the work at once rigorous and absolutely free, and said of Shaunalek, she's in a class by herself. Don't miss your chance to encounter one of the new masters of international cinema. Yeah, and I was just I was just thinking about um, those this kind of slow methodical way that Kubrick makes movies mm-hmm. and we're never talking about the way the camera moves through those spaces. You were talking about, um, about how they talk in kind of like a slow and stilted way. And, you know, Kubrick is obviously one of our great filmmakers and the way that he, for lack of a better term or Tarkovskian term to mention one of our favorite filmmakers, uh, mm-hmm. sculpts, sculpts with time. Um, but Ice White Shut is actually really, in terms of the narrative, it's actually really compressed. Like you're you're, you're watching a couple mm-hmm. nights in the life of this couple. And I was thinking when I was uh, when I was thinking about the topic of this podcast, I was I was thinking like, well, what movies actually are able to get at the span of marriage? The span, like, because you can't really capture what marriage feels mm-hmm. like. You can, you can, um, you can 
have like the moment out of time that represents the whole, right? It's usually in a movie, the moment of breakup, right? Or it's either the moment right. of courting or the moment of breakup, whatever, whatever kind of comes in between is usually left out because how do you, how do you capture that feeling? And right. I was thinking, what are the, what are the greatest representations of kind of that, um, the gradual, um, accrual of details that, that create a marriage. I can only think of books actually. I mean, I get, it's middle March, you have, you know, Portrait of a Lady. You actually mm-hmm. have that span of time and a gigantic novel to get that. I mean, right. one of the, I think just in Middlemarch, you have like, you know, Casabon and Dorothea, but then you also have like um, Rosamond and um, Lydgate, right? So you have these like two different portraits of marriage that take hundreds of pages where you see like the incremental little things that can like slowly dissolve a relationship, mm-hmm. right? And it's so incredible to behold. I don't think, I don't know if any movie ever will be able to do that. And certainly like the film adaptation of Portrait of a Lady is wonderful, but it doesn't get at what, you know, Henry James got out of the book. I don't know a cinema, unless you have like, I, I, like a I, Lob I, Diaz movie about I, marriage. I don't uh, know. It's like, no. like what movies I mean, have actually also, got that I, kind I, of the mundanity of it and the kind of like the day-to-day routine. You know, well, what's what a it like is. for a relationship to unfold day after day, year after year? Well, you know, I would, I would counter with um, one of my favorite movies about marriage that I don't think is seen as being about marriage because people see the single woman at its center as its protagonist. Mm-hmm. But Mike Lee's Another Year mm-hmm. is very much about that space in between. This is not a couple mm-hmm. that's falling in love. This is not a couple that's negotiating a divorce. This is not a couple where one of the partners is sick and dying this is just another year in the lives of tom and jerry right and jerry tom and jerry (laughs) that's right how can they not get along (laughs) yeah right and um you know i i love that movie because you know the relationship is never in question um and tom and jerry are um a very stable couple um, Jerry works with this woman, Mary, played by Leslie Manville. Uh, Tom is Jim Broadbent, and um, Jerry is Ruth Sheen. And um, and Mary's a mess. Mary is uh, approaching middle age, maybe middle age, um, single. She drinks way more than is healthy, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a very unseemly crush on Tom and Jerry's uh, son, who's inappropriately young for her. Um, but no, they, you joke about I know, that. No, I, I'm not joking. I'm just I, laughing, and I shouldn't have laughed. It's I, true. I, I actually think that you know one thing I like about that is that you know why is Mary attracted to this young man? I don't know that it's so much that like he's presented as being desirable because that's not how it's played. In a certain sense, I think that it's about Mary's desire for to be a part of that family, hmm. right? That's she she longs to be a part of the unit of Tom and Jerry, which is what she envies because it it does project the stability. And then as as good as those characters are good in quotes, you know, they're, they, they're good people. They're good friends to marry. Well, are they good friends to marry? They certainly indulge her, her functional alcoholism to a degree that I don't think is healthy, particularly for someone who is a, a therapist as, as Jerry is. Right. Um, but more to the point, they're, 
there is an element of that marriage that um, it has a kind of smugness and mm -hmm. a kind of uh, judgmental quality. And because Mary, Mary's an annoyance to them, but like, like the, the stakes of their relationship to Mary are nothing right because they have each other and mm -hmm. the way in which that marriage functions as a kind of a, a counterpoint to Mary's need to connect and seeing them as friends when they ultimately maybe aren't the best friends to her it's part of what makes that movie so devastating I think it's a a portrait of a marriage that is a good relationship for the two people who are in it mm. but it also is a portrait of of a marriage as like marriage as its own entity, mm -hmm. like not Tom as character, not Jerry as character, but mm -hmm. the couple of Tom and Jerry and how that couple, independent of the fact that they seem like good people individually, actually aren't always so good to people. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I'm glad, I, I'm glad you brought that movie up. It's one of my favorite movies. I find it unlike anything I've ever seen before. I mean, we all, we've all I assume we've all seen a lot of Mike Lee movies. I think this one is mm -hmm. um, particularly disturbing for the, for these ambiguities that you talk about. I kind of I, I think about those characters a lot, and I think about what it means when a marriage, like you're saying, is so self sufficient and so closed off, and such a completely tight, closed off unit that everyone they come in contact with somehow becomes um, either um, a cast off mm -hmm. or 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 a, or like a toy. Right. in a way not that they're intending to do that but the strength of their marriage makes it alienating for everybody else because it's not just mary who 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 we see throughout that movie it takes place in four seasons and each season there's usually some outsider who is 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 somehow um represented as as, as um you know being a possible other family member right mm -hmm. and um, Mary's a particularly tragic version of that, but yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's such an interesting movie about about relationships. I, I just yeah. I'm really haunted by it. I mean, is is part of it? Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting to to turn the kind of self sufficiency of the marriage and the self containedness containment of it into something that actually could be like a malignant force <laughs> in a way because of how it shuts out the world um, in a way. And yeah, everything seems lesser than compared to it. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Like in, there's always this inside outside dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And they're the only ones inside. Right. You don't see a lot of Tom and Jerry by themselves, mm -hmm. which is also really interesting. But um, I mean, that makes me wonder about another thing um, in terms of portrayals of marriage um, is the idea of identity and individual identity and how that, can be dissolved or, or how that's preserved in, in a marriage. I wonder if um, any of the movies that you were thinking of talking about, does that sort of come up for any of them? I'm trying to think. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I meant, we mentioned him uh, briefly only because we were talking about weekend, but Andrew Hayes mm. follow up to weekend. 45 interesting. Years. 45 yeah. years oh. mm -hmm. with Charlotte Rampling um, and Tom Courtney yeah. is definitely a movie that's about that. It's in mm. similar to eyes wide shut in the way it's about kind of like this, in a way, it's about kind of things that an individual holds on to, and then when the other person finds out about that thing, it can have a disruptive quality. Though, right. I mean, it's more. This is more about a long span of time. Of, of time. Yes, right. and That's and true. the discovery that he, Charlotte Rampling's character, realizing that um, her husband 
um, would have had a different life if the girlfriend who died um, tragically um, had lived and um, married him, that he would have chosen to to do marriage differently with someone else. um, And that how that starts to uh, like sort of tug at the fabric of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, Another movie that kind of gets at this too, though, um, to return to our before trilogy is before Mm -hmm. midnight. Mm -hmm. Right. So Celine played by Julie Delpy. uh, This is a film by Richard Linklater. If you haven't seen it, I'm, Sorry. Um, <laughs> and Celine, played by Julie Delpy, is someone who feels like she's given her life up for Jesse, right. um, played by Ethan Hawke, right? So she's she's been raising their twins. She's been um she's you know, she's been making decisions in part based on um well, that's not quite right. I, I'm a little bit wrong. The, what's at stake is that he wants to move mm-hmm. to the States to be closer to his son. And she she feels like he's asking her to give up her identity. Mm-hmm. And this is also yeah. bound up in the fact that, he, you know, his fame as an author is based on books that he's written about their <laughs> relationship. So he's the author of their relationship. Right. And... So she 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 doesn't own their story, and that mm-hmm. that tension then plays out in a broader sense in this extended argument they have about right. whether she'll move to the states, which he doesn't even explicitly ask. He kind of guilts her into bringing it but up. The movie so perfectly plants those seeds that in the beginning of the film, so that when the argument happens, you totally believe that that could that that is what he's secretly wanting. But even if right. even if he's not going to ask that, she knows him so well because they've been together so many years that you believe that she's you know that she knows what she's talking right. about. Right? They're continuing a fight that they've been having in one way or another mm-hmm. for the entirety of their relationship. Which I think also, even though they're not married in the film, they uh, they're just you know uh, longtime partners. I, I think that gets at something essential about marriage that. Um, and I wonder if you think that there are any other movies that do this well, the idea that like whatever you're fighting about, whenever you're fighting about it, you're actually kind of always having the same fight Uh (laughs) and the fight is about how you're different and about identity and who's, who is giving up certain aspects of themselves or what they want their life to be for the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which we fought about. Oops. Yeah, we Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's, go. It's, it's, a real, it's a real thing. Yeah. We don't have yeah. to talk about it here. Um, but that ties in a bit to marriage story. A yeah. marriage story in some ways. Absolutely. I mean, owes a ton to 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 uh, I, before I, I, yeah, I wanted to say really briefly again, yeah. like I'm a fan of marriage story. I like mm-hmm. that movie, but like this the and I like the central fight scene that everyone, you know, that is been taken out of context all over the internet. Oh, yeah, I, like I think too. it's a really good scene. You need yeah. the entire movie to build up to that scene to mm-hmm. make it register emotionally. Yeah. But um, the fight scene in Before Midnight is wildly impressive. Yeah. It goes on for a very, it's like a, a third of the film, basically. Yeah. And yeah. it's so delicately written. The way that it moves in different waves and moods and you think that it's subsiding and then it, and then you know one little tiny thing will be said and then it just flares up again. It's very gutting to yeah. see that something that you've been, and as a viewer that you've been following a relationship for 
right years <laughs> right yeah. each yeah. movie has like a very tight tightly contained fr- uh, narrative framework they all take mm-hmm. place within a couple hours but in terms of like the the trajectory of that relationship we've been watching it for years we've we saw them meet we saw them get back together right. and, and we're now we're watching their marriage potentially fall apart that has a real effect on you as a viewer because you invested so much in that mm-hmm. and um for, for and and for Linklater to be able and and julie delpy and ethan hawk because they they wrote it co-wrote it for them to be able to so convincingly um depict that and put so much care into that into that screenplay to care yeah. so much about the characters and their viewers to make it so vivid and real i i've always been kind of um amazed by well and one yeah. other observation uh the fight essentially interrupts what is supposed to be constructed mm. as a romantic getaway involving mm-hmm. sex right mm-hmm. like they are about to have sex and then because of a phone call that degenerates into a fight. And, uh, you know, so again, you have these tensions that are marriage tensions, but they're also marriage and movie tensions, right? Mm -hmm. About, you know, how do you deal with love? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with love making? And how are those things interrelated when you're trying to depict a relationship that exists over years and decades? I, I wanted mm-hmm. to say something too about out, uh, something you know, you've mentioned the phone call, but something I wanted to talk about was also um, this idea of outside forces and social realities that can kind of encroach upon a, a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that we've been talking about for the most part have been like the internal problems in a relationship yeah. that we can all agree, uh, agree with mm-hmm. and relate to. That happens across a wide spectrum of people because everyone ha- is an individual trying to make it as um, in a in a couple if they're if they so choose. Um, but there are movies that are about people who do love each other, but for whom the reality, the political realities of the world, become almost too much, and it it, right. it, it can kind of. It can create, uh, it can wreak havoc on a relationship. I was thinking of Michael Romer's "Nothing But a Man" mm. from 1964, which mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've said before, and I'll say it again. I think it's the best American movie of the 1960s. Um, I think that the way it shows this marriage, um, well, it starts as a courtship. He marries. She's a preacher's daughter. Um, he's a railroad worker. Uh, African Americans are always looking. He's always looking for work the reality of the situation becomes too much and t- towards the end of the film he does something violent and you've put so much time against against her he pushes her and you know he loves her and you know that he's not at heart an abusive person and you know that the world has just become too much and it's so devastating i've i've rarely had a stronger emotional reaction to a movie than that moment mm-hmm. after after all that his 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 the the gesture and you know he doesn't want to do it, and you know that it's not him who's doing it. It's something beyond them. Um, I, I just I think about that a lot. There's another you know? dimension to this, though, which uh, I want to add to sort of complicate the conversation. You know, Michael's still thinking about how social political forces shape of marriage based on romantic love, but what we're not talking about is marriage as an economic proposition Mm -hmm. and marriage as a sort of social institution. Um, And there are better examples than this, but, you know, two movies that we were talking about on the way over just because we were talking about this subject. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, Reiner Werner Fassbinder's The Merchant of Four Seasons oh. is about bourgeois marriage for sure. I don't know if those two characters mm -hmm. love each other. Um, Fassbinder plays a fruit salesman and uh, Brigitte Mira, that's her name, right? Brigitte Mira? That sounds, I think. Isn't that Irm Hermann? Irm Hermann. Okay. Irm Hermann plays his wife and, uh, and you know, there isn't much sense of love there. It feels fairly transactional, and, and the movie is very much about that. Um, and we also talked, um, just because I think thinking about marriage as an economic institution, it's good to think about period pieces, a bit about Howard's End mm -hmm. on the way over. Um, <sighs> and there are better examples than that, but it's, it's one that comes to mind because you have a... a a mar you have multiple marriages that may or may not have anything to do with love bound up in them. They certainly have things to do with property and, and domesticity mm -hmm. and, you know, th those institutions um, at, at their center. Yeah, no, it's important to it, marriage. It means so many different things and so many different, to so many different cultures and different right. parts of the world. And, yeah. and I mean, what we're talking about mostly is kind of like, you know, bourgeois kind of definition of marriage right um which you know it's just good to i guess make make those definitions yeah. clear but it's what's i mean just interesting when you're talking about middle march earlier you know just think i mean so many like 19th the, the like the heyday the full maturation of like the novel in like the 19th century so many of those plots are precisely about that tension about marriage and how it mirrors that and it makes you wonder how you know how the way marriage is portrayed in movies what that has to do with almost the nature of movies as a popular medium as well and what people go to you know to see it what they want to see happen is you know is, are they is it partly for to see romantic love depicted rather than you know what, what might have been before um i don't know um earlier michael you mentioned um sunrise and ladeland does that fit in here mm -hmm. in some way? i mean well i mean it, sunrise is just you know this is the, I'm sorry, this is the F.W. Uh, F. Murnau, 1927 um, silent masterpiece. I think I can, some people bristle at the overuse of the term masterpiece. We're talking about Sunrise I mean, here. Yeah, come on. Pretty safe ground, I think. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's a movie about kind of the rekindling of a marriage that had been in extreme danger. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very moving to watch th those characters kind of um, regain the core or refine, find the core again of what they once had. It's not dissimilar. I mean, it's it's very dissimilar from, but in ways, it's not dissimilar from Eyes Wide Shut, right? Mm -hmm. It's it is about the temptation of uh, the allure of the thing outside of the domestic space. Um, so in Sunrise, it is also the allure of the city, right? And the the city mm -hmm. as represented by uh, you know. A modern, you know, a, a modern woman, and then the the wife who is the, you know, the country wife, and the you have the contrast between the domestic space, which is safe and boring, mm -hmm. and the city, which is exciting. What's interesting about Sunrise, unlike Eyes Wide Shut, is that um, in Eyes Wide Shut, the rekindling of the romantic flame, as it were. Um, comes from them sharing their fantasies through words. And in Sunrise, 
the rekindling comes from her experiencing the city with him. Not mm-hmm. that they want to live there. They ultimately retreat back to home. But um, that that experience of venturing out together, mm-hmm. kind of going on the Odyssey together, right. is what... Uh, what makes the marriage whole again. Mm-hmm. And I had only mentioned um, Jean Vigo's La Delante mm-hmm. because there just seem to be so few films about marriage, though those are newlyweds in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, so few films about marriage that, again, kind of leave this realist realm and enter this this kind of dream space. And that is a movie that um, just gets at kind of like the exciting eroticism of mm-hmm. of of marriage. Well, you know, in, in a in a completely um, a dreamlike, fabricated, yeah, aestheticized well, way. And I think one of the one of the things that keeps coming up in our conversation, and I think it's very much related to what you were saying, Nick, about movies and how can movies depict marriage? Because movies, they're time bound. There, there has to be some kind of dramatic excitement, right? right. There's a sort of a fantasy element to all movie watching. Um, and, and so I think a lot of movies about marriage end up playing out that sense of fantasy and and adventure and how that either disrupts, rekindles, reconfigures the relationship. And one of, one of the movies that, um, I wanted to mention today, because I think it's one of the most beautiful movies about a marriage, um, is a make way for tomorrow, Mm. the Leo McCary film. Don't bring it up. It's the saddest movie ever made. Um, Orson Welles said that, not me, so Mm -hmm. I don't take credit for the Mm -hmm. statement, but I think he was right about Mm -hmm. at least that. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's a movie that starts as being a movie about um, some really awful kids Mm -hmm. who, you know, kind of can't take care of their, their parents, separate them, and then decide to send... The, it's the father who's sent across the country, right? Thought, is the, it the mother? You mean at the very end? Yeah. I think so. Um, I forget. They decide to split the couple up yeah. mm-hmm. and separate them across country from one another. Yeah. And so they know um, in the third act of the movie, basically, that they're having their last day together and they mm-hmm. go back to the city where they had their honeymoon and mm-hmm. they relive that experience. And so what we see as moviegoers is two people enacting a kind of fantasy reenactment of the moment in which their love was at its height, but they're doing so from the other end of it when, so I'll correct myself, it's not that their love was at its height, that kind of exciting new romantic love piece of it you know the erotic the fun um that was at its height and they're looking at it on the other end as partners who have lived a life together and that they talk about at the very end as having been really rewarding Mm -hmm. and they each validate one another as a spouse Mm -hmm. um basically saying like i could not have had a better partner than you like this marriage worked for me um and so one of the reasons why that movie is such a particularly beautiful depiction of marriage is that it kind of gives you both things at the same Mm -hmm. time you get to have that moment of reverie 
but you see it through the eyes of people who also have the the love of decades yeah yeah also it's a movie that we um can't we can't look at each other when it's over we're never watching that movie together ever again no (laughs) no (laughs) there are two movies i think we had such a strong emotional reaction to while sitting on the couch that we couldn't look at each other when it was over and the other one was for all your spielberg naysaying et Oh, wow. Admit it. <laughs> Definitely a great film about Mary. <laughs> I'm just saying, you cried a lot last time we watched E.T. E.T. Oh. Um. <laughs> You're not going to admit it? <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> deny, deny, deny. Um, well, I think we're probably coming to um, coming into our concluding stretch here. Um, and... I, I can think of one other movie just since we've been talking about generally like the journey of, of a marriage and, and, and reliving beginnings or ends, reliving the beginning and the end at the end as that um, make way for tomorrow happens. Um, but also the idea of going on a journey together someplace that made me think of The Shining, which... Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We were going to talk maybe, about that, weren't we? we maybe we can end on a, <laughs> we can end on a, on a horrific note. <laughs> Well, actually, I love that. I was saying earlier that, you know, Chris isn't really a fan of horror movies, but you were definitely a fan of The Shining. I think Absolutely. that's your, maybe yeah. your, is that your favorite horror movie, perhaps. Yes, because it's the best one <laughs> ever made. <laughs> well, that makes sense then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, 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 what I find kind of fascinating about that movie is that it's obviously it's about a lot of things. It's about alcoholism mm-hmm. and it's about abuse and it's about fathers and sons and all that stuff but it's also at heart very much about a marriage Mm -hmm. and the discomfort of marriage and kind of like um um you know two people who just clearly do not belong in the same (laughs) space right the way that that movie deals with space who knows when wendy and jack first got together who knows what their background is you don't get any sense of it but from the very beginning the way they're tightly framed in that car you know that they should not be together and it's not a story about you know the dissolution of a great of a great thing (laughs) the loss of a great love no it's about this this idea of like domesticity itself Mm. being um kind of diseased and Mm. his like you know eventually his explosion kind of being like the id coming out and the kind of, you know the 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 um he's well he's i mean he's an abusive alcoholic yeah but yeah. it's if you think of the film from um her point of view as much as his i mean it's it's very much about the constraints of marriage mm-hmm. yeah well yeah. and you know so so many horror movies when they are about um families they the locus of the horror is somewhere in the relationship between the parent and the child Mm. and uh the shining is one of those i think rare examples where um the most horrific stuff um comes in his attempts to murder her right like that's Mm -hmm. that that's that's when the movie's scariest um and so the idea that um that you could be married to a murderer is something I've thought about often. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard this before. <laughs> Can we change the subject real quick? Help me. <laughs> <There's> uh, <laughs> final You're thoughts, my only so to hope speak. film comment podcast. Um, <laughs> just the sound of an axe swinging. This will be used as evidence in some trial. I'm very nervous about that. Um, I w- one other thing I want to bring up 
So we can shift gears very briefly before the end. Um, and I was thinking about this movie while we were sitting here because I was still trying to think of movies that are more like um, um, conceptual investigations of marriage. Mm-hmm. And I, I, really, I was thinking of Joanna Hogg's Exhibition, which oh, wow. is a fascinating movie about yeah. living space right. specifically and about yeah. two people in a marriage who have sort of, div- they kind of divided up their space. So, she, you know, one of them's upstairs, one of them's downstairs. They they, 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 they communicate via intercom <laughs> and they have their own completely yeah. separate inner and outer lives. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that movie's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a conceptual art piece unto itself. And yeah. I th- and, and the actress in it is actually a conceptual artist. Right, yeah. As, and that's another thing that, I, that's, that, that comes up sometimes is uh, marriages, you know, in which there's a, artist involved <laughs> you know yeah. or both are artists and how well, that plays out yeah and i sometimes think about that even in something as simple as you know chris goes to bed earlier i watch a movie after he goes to bed i suddenly have my space he has his he gets up before mm-hmm. me in the morning then he has his space and i have mm-hmm. mine well, you know it's yeah and every goes, house is divided in a way right it goes mm-hmm. back to identity right like what makes martin scorsese's new york new york so fascinating to me is that um the robert de niro character um, is it, obviously he's he's an example of problematic masculinity, but ultimately the 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 conflict between them is that Liza Minnelli's character is such a gifted singer that he's struggling to find a way to have an identity in a band with her, and that causes him to disrupt the marriage. Right, right? in a sense you could chalk it all up to toxic masculinity. And there's an argument to be made for that in the movie, but you could also talk about it from the perspective of epic self-sabotage. You know, he just starts to destroy the marriage Mm. because it's consuming him because she's too big for the two of them to occupy the marriage together. And who better than Liza Minnelli? To, to cast as the character who's too good, too talented, and too right. big for a marriage. Yeah. How yeah. great is that? Which is a star is born too, right? Yep. Right. Well, it seems no matter what, we always come back to various base notes of, uh, <laughs> of, of, of yeah, d- yeah, desperation. <laughs> well, that's actually one good point. Can we end on a really, really positive well, note? Why don't you just, <laughs> why don't two. you just sing the, you know, the world goes on. <laughs> I'm not going to sing, but, but he's a really good singer. But branching off of Liza Minnelli, going back to Judy Garland. I always want to do that. Yeah. Going back to Judy Garland. Uh-huh. Mimi in St. Louis has oh, within it oh, a absolutely oh, beautiful portrait perfect. of a marriage. Yes. Yes. There's that scene, the scene with, uh, and I was uh, reminded of this scene recently by a friend. Um, there's the scene, you and I, which mm-hmm. is the the um, the father and the mother, husband and wife, however you want to. Uh, which I put on a mix Leon Ames and Mary you, Astor. Like, early in our relationship Aww. when people used to still make such things. <laughs> I loved that. Isn't that crazy? Thank you. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> um, they 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 come that's together beautiful. in unison to sing this this beautiful little tiny song on the piano that's all about you know, through the years, um, through dark and fair weather. You and I, and then the children come down the stairs, and they all gather to to watch the parents sing. And it's ridiculously idyllic and perfect as that movie kind of is and plays with. But it is just this beautiful idea of marriage. Well, and maybe it's also the counterpoint to another year, right? So that scene, um, that 
scene resolves a conflict that for the family is almost mm-hmm. an existential one, right? The right. father tells him that, that he's going to move okay. them to New York City for a job opportunity. So it's like one person's identity stealing the identity right. of every other member of the family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the movie doesn't resolve that conflict in 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 that scene, but it makes it a non-conflict because the song asserts in a certain sense that the identity is the marriage and by extension, mm-hmm. the family mm-hmm. and that whether they're in New York city or St. Louis or wherever they happen to live, mm-hmm. that the thing between them yeah. is more powerful. So, you know, you can put that song up against Tom and Jerry and see who wins. <laughs> Well, I'll take I'll take ridiculously idyllic. No, that's just fine with me. <laughs> me too. Um, well, I think uh, we can we can end there. Um, but thank you both for a wonderful wonderful discussion. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comment podcast with music by Greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. Brilliant, gorgeously immersive, masterful in its subtlety. These are just a few of the ways critics are describing Angela Shonalek's I Was at Home But. The film starts Friday, February 14th, exclusively at Film at Lincoln Center, with Shonalek in person at select screenings.